Hey, thank you so much for joining us online at Venue Church for another inspirational message from Pastor Corey Cope. If you were impacted by this message in any way, we would love it if you would share it with your friends online. Yeah, real boats rock. Let's go on a walk together, shall we? <laughs> Welcome to our series, Science, Suffering, and Other Problems with God. Have you ever had doubts about God? Do you believe in God? Do you believe in the existence of God? If God exists, why all the suffering in the world? We're going to answer some of these questions as we walk through how you came to believe what you believe. You've told yourself that you arrived there logically, but did you? Surely your belief is up to a little bit of robust testing, if we can, during this series, including people, and especially people who grew up in church. This is my sermon entitled, Don't Drink the Kool-Aid. That's why we don't serve Kool-Aid. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. Know what you believe. Know why you believe it. How did you arrive at what you currently believe about God? There's a man that said that what you believe about God is the most important thing about you. I don't know if he's right or not, because if you don't believe about God, that kind of messes that up. But what if that's the most important thing about you? Um, as a child, I was kind of like an independent sort of a thinker. Do we got any independent sort of people here? You're allowed to talk, independent people. I'm going to shout you down. We, um, in our NXT, if you've never been to NXT, we're doing number one next week called Find Hope. You need to come if you think that this is your church, you want to know what we're about, you want to know who you are and what you're all about, uh, we can show you in NXT. It's four parts. But in NXT, uh, in part two, the lab, we go through your personality type and your spiritual gifts testing. Who's been through NXT? Is it fun? And so in there, y'all have been wondering what my personality test came out as. Nobody's really wondering. Uh, we do a True Colors personality test. We don't do the Myers-Briggs there because it's really good, but nobody can remember all the letters and stuff, and so, and mostly because I'm orange and can't remember stuff. Um, so my personality type is orange-green, which, which, which when you boil it down to it, my personality type is orange. Don't tell me what to do. That's what orange is. And green, don't tell me what to think. Do we have any don't tell me what to do and don't tell me how to think in the house? <laughs> All right, I'm going to tell you what to think in this note. <laughs> but even as a child, I was, I was very much like independent. I was endlessly curious about things. And mom said that um, a walk uptown would take an hour sometimes because I just had to check under every rock and see what the world was all about, and I was just endlessly curious, and that curiosity kind of went into my relationship with God eventually. I didn't come to God the way that some of you came to God. I didn't really meet God first, but that's a story for a few minutes from now, maybe. But my personality, even when I was two, was quite evidently, don't tell me what to do, Mom, and don't tell me how to think. That's true. That's my dad. That's true. Amen. Amen. You know, shout me down. My mom was... Back in the day, um, when moms baked cookies, the, the ovens weren't as good as the ovens today. So, which means that you could really burn your hand on the oven door. Nowadays, things are a lot safer, but my mom concerned for my safety, but also raising a little boy who, don't tell me, what to do and don't tell me how to think, had a bit of a problem when she baked cookies because the oven door used to get hot enough to actually burn and hurt somebody. And so she was tired of barricading herself in the kitchen to cook or to bake things, which is what she would have to do. 
but there's no barricade that can keep two-year-old Corey out of some place that I want to be. There's no barricade that can keep me out. You didn't think that was funny? You try to keep a two-year-old out of something that they want to be in. Like, barricade yourself in. Put all the toys there. Line up couch cushions. Do whatever you have to. I can get over it. I can get through it. She would barricade herself in her own kitchen so that I couldn't get in there and hurt myself. And she finally thought, I was about two, I think. She finally thought, you know what? Why don't I just educate him a little bit? Well, don't tell me what to do and don't tell me what to think. Get educated by this thing called pain. (laughs) Experience is sometimes the only teacher to a don't tell me what to do, don't tell me how to think sort of kid. And so she said, Corey, I'm going to bake cookies, so I want you to stay away from the oven door because it's going to be hot. And I gave her one of these looks. Got any kids like that? That said, looked at my mom and looked at the oven door and thought, oh, why would you tell somebody like me something like that? That's all I can think about. You just painted a target there. Don't tell me something bugs you. That's all I'll be able to think about doing. So let me get this straight. You don't want me to touch this. I wasn't thinking about it before now, but now I'm thinking about it. No barricade can keep me out. So my mom caught this look that said, well, you can't watch the oven door all day, Ma. So the Holy Spirit came to her in a waking vision, I assume, and said, why don't you just turn the heat up a little bit so he gets the point? (laughs) This was not child abuse back then, by the way. This is just normal parenting. (laughs) But look, I mean, it's always this tension. Like, how much pain can I really cause my child so that they don't get run over by a truck on the street? (laughs) Which is worse? I don't know. I know I'm messing with your millennial minds and parenting and stuff. But when you got a kid like me, man, a little pain is not a bad thing. And so she turned the oven up maybe to halfway or something. Not enough to do damage, but enough so that I could feel it and get the point, because I'm an experienced kind of learner, right? And so she turned it up, and I walked over there in front of her and went, where I'm a little butt. Walked over, looked at mom, looked at the oven door, and went, and then I went, see, heat can go two ways it can hurt you, or it can bake you cookies. Now, how many people know that what you believe about God, what you believe about the origin of the universe, what you believe about your purpose on this earth can go two ways? It can make you cookies, or it can hurt you. Listen, have you ever been burned by something you didn't understand or didn't agree with? Your belief system has the power to bring life to you, or it has the power to burn you, especially when you don't understand something or don't agree with something. So we need to start down at the bottom here where we understand there's like this sort of fearful aspect of this that you better know what you believe, and you better know why you believe it, because it can burn you whether you agree with it or not. If you don't understand gravity, it can still hurt you. Well, what about your belief system? What about your belief system. Today and throughout this sermon series, you're going to hear this come up more and more, is just thought that, and we'll put it on the screen for you, why believe what I feel when I could believe what's real? Why believe what I feel when I could believe what's real? Why believe what I feel today 
when I could actually believe in something that's real or someone that's real? Why believe what I feel when I could believe what's actually real? The problem with God, many Christians see God as a solution, but if you're not one of them, is God or the existence of God or the possible existence of God, is that just a problem to you? I came up with this uh, sermon title some months ago, and then uh, a great Canadian leader called Mark Clark came out with a book called The Problem of God. And Carrie Newhoff, another great Canadian uh, leader, longtime listeners of the pod, um, they, I, I, uh, I've been doing this to Jesus for a long time. I ripped off all of their material to preach in my sermon, <laughs> but I've been ripping off Jesus forever. <laughs> For sermon material, the Apostle Paul, David, I just ripped these guys off because nobody really cares what I think. So I preach stuff that actually matters. Inspired, we think, by the Holy Spirit. That's sort of how a Christian says it. So I basically, all of that to say, I basically ripped these guys off. And because they're Christ followers, they're not going to sue me. Because we're going to be at the same house party in heaven. That's what I believe. And it's going to be like, you're the guys that sued me for stealing all your sermon material, but I gave you credit and you sued me anyways, guys. But that's not how that's going to work out. I just want to give credit to him, credit to you. And the reason that I went there and the reason that I sweated this series like I did was because, I'll be honest, I always, from the time I can remember when I was little, I always believed in, in God. I always believed that there was a God. Now, I didn't know my place in that. I didn't know if I had a relationship with God, but I've never actually questioned the existence of God. So you might say, well, I'm an atheist, or I'm an agnostic. I don't believe in anything, or I don't know what to believe, or I'm unsure, or I don't believe in God at all. I just believe that, that when we die, that that's it, and we just cease to exist. Did you know that that's like a fairly recent philosophy? like the 1920s and 30s, fairly recent on the scale of the earth. Nobody thought that before then, but here's the thing. Like, how can I talk to somebody who doesn't believe in God and never has? If I grew up where you grew up, maybe that's exactly what I would think. If I had your dad, maybe that's exactly what I would believe. And so what I had to do is I had to go to these two other sources because Mark Clark was an atheist until he became a Christ follower. So he's had to think all these things. Kerry Newhoff had questions that I just didn't have about that. Now, when I came to Christ, your journey to Christ will look like your journey to Christ. And so I want to be able to speak into your life, even though that wasn't my journey. But my journey, I came to Christ. I didn't really meet God first. I grew up in this great Christian home. But some things happened in my life when I was young. And, and I kind of met the, the dark side of the forest and the devil first. And so that sounds funny, but that's my story. And I would listen to your story. And I met the devil first, kind of. And I knew that because of the pain that I was suffering at night, that, that there must be a God who is that good on the other side of that. And that was my journey to Christ. But, but I always knew that there was something spiritual out there because that was part of my experience. But maybe that's not part of your experience. But I want to be able to bring everybody into this conversation so we all start at the ground floor. I do remember when my Uncle Brent died. I was in my early 20s and... My uncle Brent was kind of a troubled uh, man. He got into drugs back in the day um, when he was in junior high probably. And, and we think that he overdosed and, and died. He was back living with my grandma at the time. And, and uh, I remember seeing his body in a casket done up. It was an open casket. And I remember in my early 20s looking at him and knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that what made him, him, wasn't there anymore. I could feel it. His soul, some essential part of him wasn't, just the shell was left behind. 
all the peas in the pod were gone and it was just the pod. And I remember looking at that and knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that it's not here, so where is it? Some of you would say, well, it, he just ceased to exist there. But I knew when I saw my grandma that it was the same thing. The essential part of her wasn't there anymore. What I think is her soul. The thing that made her her outside of her body. And in these times of loss and suffering, sometimes your eyes are opened up to a different world that when you're comfortable, you don't have to ask certain types of questions, do you? But if you've ever dealt with a crushing loss, you've ended up with questions like, well, if God is love, how come there's so much suffering in the world? And have you ever asked those questions? I have. I remember one of my friends in the trades when I worked there, his outrage in my Christian beliefs that that informed him and he was angry about it. And he said, so you mean to tell me, first of all, nobody cares what I think, but it's always that. But so you tell me that God will forgive a murderer, but God won't forgive my mom who's never hurt anybody in her life. And I said, I don't. first of all, do you really care what I think? I don't think you really care what I think. I don't think that's what you're getting at here, but how good is good enough for a relationship with God if he exists? Is that how relationships work? I have a relationship with you because you've never murdered anyone? Maybe the murderer realized his sin and asked for forgiveness. His outrage was that the murderer would ask for forgiveness, but his mom, who maybe didn't ask for it, wouldn't get it. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever talked to somebody who felt like that? All of these very real questions in our journey towards faith. Now maybe you used to call yourself a Christian, but then you went off to college and you found out that sin was pretty fun. If it's not fun, you're not doing it right. Let's be honest. For a while, until the rent comes due. Until you wake up and realize, wow. Maybe started going into philosophy classes or you met some very clever people and you walked away from your relationship or your belief in God the way that it looked because maybe in your own words you started thinking for yourself. Trouble is if somebody very clever talks you into a relationship, somebody else very clever can talk you out. Is that what we base faith on and belief on? And yet there should be some sort of logic somewhere in all of this. Maybe you think that Christianity is just emotional or unscientific. I get it. Or the Christians you know have an incredibly small worldview. And I've met some of them. <laughs> and I get it. Maybe you're part of another religion. Maybe you're unsure. Maybe you've made up your own religion. I know a young man who made up his own religion and called it after his own name. <laughs> That's one way to do it. There was only one person in it, and that was him, because he was a little crazy, but maybe that's what you've done. You just made up your own thing, your own belief about God. I won't even tell you how that conversation went. Maybe you think that Christianity is just a crutch, or, or something that weak people do to feel better about themselves. Have you ever thought that? Do you know anybody who does? It's just a crutch. It's just... It's good for you because it makes you feel good and you obviously need something like that. But me, I don't need that. Maybe that's you. 
maybe you don't like some parts about Christianity. Sex. Sex and money. (laughs) Maybe you don't like some parts of it and you just think to yourself, really, in today's world? Abstain until I get married or just have one sexual partner? You, you don't mind a lot of things about Christianity, but there are some things you're just like, let's just pull those out and I'll just take all the rest of it. And money. No, it's my money. And you've created a, a, a Franken-God. <laughs> that looks a little like God and a lot like you and freaks everybody else out around you, but maybe that's it. You just kind of picked and pulled pieces together and it seems good to you, but everyone else is like, ah, Franken-Jesus looks weird. I'm freaking me out, Mom. I don't want to hang out with Frank and Jesus. Or maybe, or maybe you grew up in church and you weren't allowed to ask any questions. Maybe you weren't allowed to doubt and all you heard was believe, 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 believe. But you're like, but what if I don't? And what if I have questions? And am I allowed to ask? And what if I'm caught in sin? Am I allowed to talk about it? Or am I not allowed to talk? I just shouldn't do it. But I don't know how to stop and I don't know if I'm allowed to end. Part of the reason Gen X, or part of the reason venue looks the way that it does is because I grew up in Gen X. A lot of us weren't allowed to ask questions in church. Now, I, I went to a good church, but a lot of people didn't. And you weren't allowed to ask any questions that were hard. Just believe, just believe. I mean, things that I heard when I was a kid is like ridiculous things. And maybe this is your story, or maybe I'm just like dating myself, but the, not like dating myself, like, oh, Corey, we should go on a date. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. Don't Franken, don't Franken Corey me here. Oh, you never believe what the pastor said. He was dating himself. Can you believe that? No. Where, where do y'all think I was going with that before I distracted myself and then let you distract me some more? I mean, I remember hearing when I, when I was a kid, I remember hearing that dinosaurs couldn't exist because it would prove evolution, which would disprove a creator. Therefore, dinosaurs didn't exist. But what about all the dinosaur bones? <laughs> you know? Just believe. Ah! But see, <laughs> true story. But many people today, in fact, most people today in our culture anyways, shape beliefs around how we feel today. But why believe what you feel when you could believe what's real? It's just like, I just feel like this is for me today. And this is my belief about God or not God or any. I just believe it because I feel it today. I got this feeling. About well, what if what you feel is totally wrong? How have you arrived at what you believe? It may not make any sense to anybody but you. And it may not make sense to you after we're done this series. Now this is most of the time how these debates go between atheists and, and Christians. The funny thing is there's highly intelligent people on either side of the equation. But sometimes you'll see like these debates between like here's an atheist who's like Oxford, ex-Oxford professor. You know, he's retired. He's a scientist. He's a very learned man on the one side of atheism. He doesn't believe that there's a God or could be a God. And, and, and on the other side, you have Joe. Oxford, Joe. Joe homeschools his kids believes that Oprah is the Antichrist, and Joe lives in a swamp. Joe, why do you believe in God? I just do. Do I have a swamp accent? I should have practiced this. I just do. I just, I just do. Well, why do you believe that? Oh. But dig a little bit deeper. You'll find that there are very intelligent people on both sides of the argument. But 
where we need to land just today, where we need to start this entire series, is this one place that we can all come together. We can all agree on something together. And every philosopher would agree. And I need you to believe that everybody has a system of beliefs already. I do. You do. You believe in something already. Every philosopher would say that about you. Every philosopher would say that about everybody. But I don't believe in anything. That is your system of beliefs. That is the code, the filter that you are living your life through. That is your system of beliefs. Well, I believe that Jesus is kind of a mix of that is your system of beliefs. Everybody, you and I, and everybody that you know already has a system of beliefs, but how did we get there? The problem is most of us, our system of beliefs could be unwound in three questions. What do you believe? I don't believe that a creator started at all. I just believe that the universe was. Why do you believe that? Because I believe in science. But why do you believe in science? And then we run out. Have you ever delved down to why you believe what you believe? Actually. Most of us believe what we feel for the day. Why believe what you, can, what you feel when you can believe what's actually real? Many of us are only three questions away from our entire worldview collapsing. But what I want you to do in this series, and what I'm committed to do for myself, is I want you to commit to following the evidence where the evidence leads. As opposed to surrounding yourself and only looking for evidence that already agrees with your system of beliefs. I'm looking at buying a vehicle here in the next few months. I'm reading good and bad reviews about vehicles now. But how many people know that after you buy a vehicle, you don't read the bad reviews anymore because you've got to explain it to your wife. <laughs> you surround yourself with all the good reviews about that vehicle. Well, everybody says that it's amazing. Not everybody. And this is why and I'm going to hit church people just as hard as anybody, why we tend to surround ourselves with social media, with blogs, with whatever happens to already agree with you. So if you don't believe in Christians, or you had a bad experience, or Christians are hypocrites, look, if Christians are hypocrites, don't you come to Venue Church, because we don't need more. <laughs> everybody's hypocritical. Listen, everybody's hypocritical. Everybody's words and actions don't line up at some point in their life. Everybody misses the point. And so what we're seeing here is that from church people to non-church people to people who are in another religion or people who don't believe in God at all, what we're seeing here is that you'll tend to surround yourself with evidence that supports you already. But why don't we follow the evidence where it actually goes instead of where you hope that it goes? You can go on all of these websites and social media where they're just bashing Christians because you think Christians are idiots. You can be a Christ follower and you can go on websites or that bash other religions, and I've seen that too, that just happen to agree with you. And you can get so negative and you can become so critical. It's easy to criticize somebody else's belief systems without actually taking a critical look at yours. So do you really want to surround yourself forever and wake up one day and find out that you've been burned because you didn't understand something? Because you didn't believe in the right thing as opposed to in what you felt at the time. You can still be burned by it. So why don't we follow the evidence where the evidence 
goes. There are three main arguments for the existence of Christ that I'm going to be walking through this series. And I'll be dressing from different sides of, of the coin here, but the first argument is this, if you're taking notes, the moral argument. You and I, and every person, has some sort of moral code already sewn into you. You'll draw the line somewhere. You'll say, not everything goes. There's some place where I won't go as a person because it's wrong. Now, you might look at somebody in a different culture and say, well, we have no right to judge their culture, but, but somewhere along the way, you will draw the line. Now, you'll draw it in a different place than the person sitting beside you, but every person draws the line someplace and says, I won't go here, or if I do, it's wrong, and I shouldn't. So you look, I mean, we can take the North American thing and, and say like, well, it's wrong of us to criticize other cultures. And okay, you might feel differently if it was your sister that another culture, I'm going to say it, wanted to eat. You still cool? Well, I'm not going to judge them. What if your sister is traveling in that country and they decide that that's a good thing? Would you have a moral objection to it? Huh. Three people would. Yes. All y'all are not traveling with any of my kids. <laughs> it's just one of the arguments, and we're going to talk about that next week in cold, hard math. There's something about you that sets you apart from the animals. If it was survival of the fittest, man, you wouldn't care. Why would you give your own kids food that you could eat if it was just straight up survival of the fittest? Somewhere, something has been placed inside of us that is a morality. You will draw the line somewhere. Where did it come from? Animals don't feel like that. They're hungry, they eat. They... Why are you different than them? Where did it come from? That's one of the main arguments. Next week, you're going to want to come back. The next main argument that we'll look at is physics. Now, if you're very scientific-minded, you think that Christianity is not scientific, we'll dig into that. That's week three called science something or other. I can't remember what I call it. <laughs> Scientifically speaking, ooh, clever. But see, physics is just explaining the world around you. There's this other thing called metaphysics, which, which in the Greek means beyond, past physics. So there's science, but have you ever really thought about this? Science is just explaining what you see already or what's already happening. But, but great scientists have to say like, but that doesn't tell you why, or the force behind what got it here. Even the law of physics themselves, they had to come from someplace. Where did they come from? Why does it work like that? So, so the scientific community says, this is our, I have a terrific quote for that series, this is where our, our thing, our influence begins and ends. We can speak into what's happening. But the force that brought it here, we can't really speak into that. All we can speak into is this. You're going to love the whole system. You can't make me say it because I'm going to save it. You've got to come back for part three, scientifically speaking. <laughs> Metaphysics is what deals with philosophy and theology. Theology means your thoughts about God. 
it deals with this other area of belief, and that's where we need to eventually go. But the science has a beginning and an end until we get into something that is actually beyond that. That's what we need to start testing, all of these things along the way. And I'm going to handle one more question that I hear more than any other question, and that is this, the problem of pain. If God is love and God is who you say that he is, then why all the pain in the world? Why did my brother die of cancer when he was 13? Why did my mom die? Why did it happen? They didn't do anything to anybody. The problem of pain. See, we need to arrive to this place where we understand that if we have a lack of relationship with a God who may or may not exist, if we lack that relationship with him, we eventually have to come to this place where we understand that it's not God that didn't choose us. And it never has been. In fact, it's us who didn't choose God. What if there are consequences to that? I believe, personally, just so you know where I'm starting from, that God is moral. I believe that God is personal, and I believe that God is relational. I believe that God is moral, which is the part that bugs us about Christians or Christianity. I believe that God is is moral in that he might have something to say about how you live your life. You like that? It's probably what's tripping you up. If you got a Frank in Jesus. He might have something to say about your life. And maybe if you lived the life the way that you were created, this is what I believe, maybe your life would be a little smoother than it is. There's always consequence to sin. There's always death of relationships and sin. Always. Sin produces death. I believe that God is personal. I I believe that he wants a personal relationship with you. I don't think he's standing off. I believe that God is relational. He's not some scary being who doesn't want you to know him. But whether you're an atheist or whether you're a theist, whether you believe in God or don't believe in God, we would all agree that, that there has to be a cause that everything comes from. A force. Grass comes from seeds, but seeds need planting. Who planted it? How did that happen? Science can tell you that this seed will produce that, but what brought that seed into existence and how did it get into that ground? There has to be some sort of force that got it there and then you just keep asking further and further back and what got the first thing there? Hmm. But where did the universe come from? See, the theist says it's God. And the theist has to make a step of faith, but everybody has taken a step of faith to believe what they believe. You can't prove anything about God or not having the existence of God. You cannot prove it 100%. There's evidence on both sides of things. Sooner or later, you're going to have to take a step of faith to believe what you believe. And a theist takes that step of faith and says, I believe that God created. An atheist says, the universe, it came from itself. But it's interesting that when the Big Bang Theory came in, people thought that it would undercut the theist or the people who believe in the existence of God. They thought that it would undercut them and their beliefs, but it didn't really because the atheists up till that time had said that the universe has always been. It's eternal. It always has been and it always will be. It, it, it is, see, but a theist thinks that the universe was created from something outside of time and space And the universe definitely has time and space. And so there's a beginning and there's maybe an ending. But the atheist said, well, the universe always has been. And so the Big Bang comes in and starts and says, well, no, the universe had a starting place. 
And so it actually cut the legs out from the atheist belief system at the time. Have you studied these things? Have you actually looked into, or did you just know somebody who hated Christians? <laughs> or did you know some weird church people? Again, I know some. Ha 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 ha. sort of laughing here. <laughs> but when you peel the Big Bang Theory back, and we'll get into this in our... Y'all like that, eh? When we peel the Big Bang Theory back, maybe we come to this place that says nobody times nothing equals everything. What's the force? Nobody times nothing equals everything. But what science can read in a book didn't create the book in the first place. Every book has an author. That's what I believe. For the world to come into existence, the universe to come into existence by complete accident, from chaos into order, would be like throwing a bomb into a, a print shop and creating a library. It all happened in order. What do you know that's chaotic that creates order? Follow your two-year-old. Don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me what to think around and tell me. This is just maybe some of the places that we'll explore and push back against some of the things that we believe. There's a man named Lee Strobel who was an atheist and an awkward thing happened to him one day. His wife went to church and became a Christ follower. And so he was so mad, he set out on this journey over a period of two years, I think it was, to disprove the existence of God and about atheists. The trouble was that by the time he was done his study, he looked where the evidence was leading him and the stack that said there was no God was quite small compared to the stack that maybe suggested that there was a God. And he said in the overwhelming evidence and difference of, of evidence, he said, he said these words, and I want to quote him, he said, to continue in atheism, I needed to believe nothing produces everything, non-life produces life, randomness produces fine-tuning, chaos produces information, unconsciousness produces consciousness, and non-reason produces reason. Let's follow the evidence where the evidence leads. Let's push back against what we believe and dig down and find out what's real. In Acts chapter 17, I'm going to go to this text and end here. I'm not going to preach out much of it, but I think maybe in the church we've gotten, we haven't really dressed up the gospel logically at times. And yet we have here, this is a story of Paul the Apostle who was one of the best minds in, in Israel. One of the sharpest. He had better teachers than you'll ever have. He was so sharp, and, and even critics of Christianity have trouble with Paul. Because Paul used to be called Saul of Tarsus and used to persecute Christians because there's no way that it could be real. Man resurrected from the dead. And yet, something happened in his life that so shifted him into Christianity, this brilliant mind. And he would go place to place and city to city and argue with the philosophers and push back about what everybody believed, trying to prove that Jesus Christ actually existed, died and rose again from the dead, and must be God or a complete liar or a lunatic. And he would go right into these centers of learning, and this is what happened one day. While Paul was waiting for his friends in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. We have idols that are a little different idols now. Might be the car you drive. Might be the hockey. Am I allowed to say that? Uh, sports. Well, all sorts of different idols now. 
in our lives. He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. He also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers when he told them about Jesus. I, I did talk about those philosophies not too long ago. They're not actually that different from our philosophies today that most Canadians believe in. When he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, maybe what you feel. What's this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he's picked up? (laughs) See, but this wasn't Joe in the swamp that thought Oprah was the Antichrist. This is Paul. And he loved getting into these sorts of conversations. Others said he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. They took him to the high council of the city. Come and tell us about this new teaching, they said. You're saying some rather strange things, and we want to know what it's all about. It should be explained, the Bible goes on to say, that all the Athenians, as well as the foreigners in Athens, seem to spend all their time discussing the latest things on social media. So, <laughs> the social media of the time, they actually had to talk face-to-face with people. They didn't freak out when they had to actually call the pizza place and millennials, shout out. Talk to humans, make decisions. Men of Athens, he says, I notice that you are very religious in every way. He knows what we know now, that everybody believes something. Everybody has some sort of religion. Everybody has some sort of system of beliefs. For as I was walking along, I saw many shrines. And one of your altars had this inscription on it to an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. Now this is, I think, where the church has kind of gotten it wrong because I think that people are maybe closer to God than we've given them credit for at times. I know that we, we, we baptized Scott and Renee and their kids. And yeah, so good. But you know, like last summer, they, they weren't Christ followers. I mean, but Renee said something interesting to me. She said, when I used to play music, I used to connect with this other thing. And when I met Jesus, I knew that it was him. And so, so Paul is addressing this here. He's like, he's like, God's maybe not as far from you as you think. You, you're all distracted with all these other things and you've created this altar to the unknown God. And I think that sometimes in church we're just like, believe what we believe, how we believe it. And look, the gospel doesn't change and the gospel is kind of hard to get your head around because you got to really get your heart around it first and meet Jesus. But, but then you'll understand why the rules make sense and all of that. But, but we say like, you have to dress like us, you have to think like us. And Paul's like, actually, some of y'all are not that far away. He's the God who made the world and everything in it. I'm talking about this God that you worship without even really knowing it yet. But when I met Jesus, uh, but, sorry, and everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. It's like, we have synagogues, you can go to church, but like, God's kind of bigger than all of that. He didn't like cram him into Bircher's theater. and work. And human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He gives life and breath to everything and he satisfies every need from one man he's talking about Adam he created all the nations throughout the whole earth he decided beforehand when they should rise and fall and he determined their boundaries his purpose this is what he's telling to them nobody in this crowd agrees with him and he says his purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him though he is not far from any one of us For in him we live and move and exist. As some of your own poets have said, he says to this group, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. 
Then he says this, and I think this needs to land with somebody tonight. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands, he has something to say, everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice. Not the justice that you agree with, but actual justice by the man he has appointed. He's talking about Jesus. And he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. When they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead. See, Christianity always comes back to the resurrection. It is not, we're not telling you believe this and you'll be, no, no, we're talking. We're, we're saying something so different than the other religions. We're saying meet Jesus. It is a relationship. When it came back to the resurrection of the dead, this will make you feel more than anything else will make you feel. You might be okay with God, but Jesus resurrecting from the dead, how does that work? The cross, what is... Some laughed in contempt. But others said, we want to hear more about this later. That ended Paul's discussion with them. Then it says this, but some joined him and became believers. Some of you are even watching online. Somebody has heard the gospel preached tonight very quickly for the first time. Some of you are ready to make a decision. Some of you know that what I'm speaking of, you've been looking for your entire life. You can feel it. There's something intuitive about you that knows. Others of you are going to go away. And, but I would, I would suggest, why don't you follow the evidence where it actually goes? And come back next week, and we'll have another dialogue about this. And others are like, you know, I need some, some time to think about this, but I'm actually going to dig into what I believe and why I believe it. Is what my dad told me actually true? Maybe I should dig down and find out if I'm believing what I feel or believing what's real. Welcome to the beginning of your journey to believe what's real. Let me pray for you to a God you may not believe exists. Heavenly Father, Reveal who you really are to people. But I also pray that you would give us all the courage to be willing to bring who we really are to the table of our debate about your existence and the role you want to play in every life. Amen. Hey, we hope you enjoyed this inspirational message from Pastor Corey Cope. If you'd like to partner with us, please go to venuechurch.ca give. Yeah, because a life saved is worth everything.